And, it, and I'm not even trying to be cheesy here by saying, well, everything happens for a reason. I sit there and I figure out the reason. It's not enough for me to say it's enough. There's a reason. Okay, what is the reason? Tell me the reason. Welcome to the Getting Mental podcast. We discuss all the different dimensions of mental health from health to psychology current affairs and spirituality science and beyond i'm your host luke and today we're getting mental with dr celia afridi celia is a clinical psychologist with over 13 years experience in helping people radically improve their mental health uh, and also emotional well-being celia is also the founder of lighthouse arabia a clinic dedicated to helping individuals from all walks of life improve the quality of their life celia thanks for coming in thank you for having me luke that's okay. So I came across your page on Instagram. I think it was maybe it will take probably about two or three months ago, um, if that. And I loved your captions. I love your videos and, and the way you communicate things. And um, there was heaps of stuff in there I wanted to go through, you know, having a bigger meaning when you're going through adversity and using your intuition, all these kind of things. But before we get into all that, what, what is your story? How did you get to doing what you're doing now? Oh, God, it's a long story. And I wish it was one of those straight lines from I was a young child and I always knew I wanted to be a psychologist. It's not one of those. It's this long, windy, loopy road where I, in my undergraduate years, actually hated psychology because it was all about abnormal psychology and, you know, these theories that were just so not very practical and um, and so I didn't do my undergraduate degree in psychology. I did it in anthropology. Wow. And, and anthropology really was a lot, a lot about uh, cultures and stories and lives. And for me, that resonated a lot. Um, and then I, you know, I went in, um, I actually did a double major and I had one in mass communications with an emphasis in journalism. Uh, but I ended up working for a marketing company early in my life. And I remember one day, you know, I, I did really well in my marketing company, but I remember sitting in my, you know, on my desk one day, two years into that, um, 18 months or so, and thinking, uh, what am I doing here? Why, what, like, this is going to be the rest of my, like, so my whole life sort of flashed in front of my eyes. And I thought, this is what I will do for the rest of my life. I will sell things to people, probably mm -hmm. they don't need that I will be selling to them. And like, that cannot be the meaning of my life. And I literally got up from my desk. I didn't think about it. I didn't talk to my dad or anybody in my life. I just walked over into my, um, my boss's office and I said, I would like to give my resignation. And he was so confused because he saw this like whole bright future. But I just made up my mind. And, and I think in, in those speaking about intuition and inner guide, there are moments where I just know. And in, those, in that moment, I just knew that that was not going to be the rest of my life. And if I didn't get out of that, I would probably find one reason or another to stay there. I eventually, you know, I felt very lost. Um, I have degrees and, you know, certificates from uh, kinesiology to real estate. I did all sorts of things. Um, and then eventually I remember talking to my older, I wanted to go into den dentistry. That was the next plan. 
that I'm going to be a dentist. I like teeth. I like smiles. And I, you know, I was like, that's what I'll do. And I wanted to take a career that was going to be suitable for um, me as a mother. I wasn't a mother at that time, but I was trying to see what could I do that could make me just have a private practice and I could just sort of do on my own. And I um, decided to then, um, uh, you know, uh, go into dentistry, but I remember sitting in like the prelim classes of dental school and which, which are classes you have to take to actually get in to the dental school and thinking, this is not it. No, this chemistry and, you know, organic chemistry. I was like, none of this makes any sense to me. Uh, All the letters are jumbled up and and nothing tells anything. I don't understand this. And so again, naively, but um, truly Mm. I left um, left those classes and I decided not to do dentistry. And then my older sister talked to me and in, in a moment, in, in a three minute conversation, um, my life pivoted and I went on to this path, which was, she said, what do you love? I said, I love stories and I love caring about people. And I, I have to be true to myself that yes, I like the business and I like I want to make money and I want to be independent, but truly Mm -hmm. if you ask me what it is that I love, that is that I love helping people. And that's when I feel that I'm the best um, where I am in a supportive role of some kind. And she said, well, why don't you do psychology? And I have a really bad memory. And so I forgot that I didn't like psychology. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. And so (laughs) I actually forgot. Um, And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, wait a minute, I remember I don't like, so I said, you know what, I'll try it. And I've always given myself that permission, Luke, which is why I don't take life very seriously. Um, Which is that if I don't like it, I'll start over. And I have no problem starting over. And if I don't like this, I'll go somewhere else. And the day I decide that I don't want to do this, that will be the day that it will be the last day that I do this. I don't, I don't, um, I know the difference between when you struggle in a job, like, oh, I'm just having a bad day. I'm just having a bad moment versus this is not my why. I don't want to do this anymore. This no longer speaks to my soul. I know the difference between those two. Mm. There are very hard days that I have. There are days that absolutely I'm spent. There are days where I question, why is it that I'm doing this? But I remember why, and the why still resonates with me. And so that was many, many years, over 17 years ago, where I entered my um, master's and doctorate program. And, um, and I'm now here. That's Long beautiful. story, but <laughs> I had no, to give you the whole thing. There's so many other things that happened in the middle, but that's, no, that's the story. That's awesome. There's so much that you've said in there that resonates with, with my journey as well. You know, I was in a job doing sales as well, you know, doing sales and marketing stuff. And I remember almost every day thinking to myself, you know, when, when you first started a new job, you're like, oh, this is new, fresh, exciting. I'm going to do all these new things. And then I remember after a few weeks, every time I'd start a new job, because I was always searching and always looking around for something. Every time I start a new job, I'm like, is this going to be my life? Is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And then I'll get into the personal development stuff and I'll say to myself, you know what? I can, I can change what my soul wants. I can change, you know, my why and all these things, which is what I wanted to ask you as well. You know, I, I thought I could 
you know, that, that life was something, you know, my mission was something that I could tangibly change. And I still believe you can to an extent, but I would sit there and, and do affirmations and try to like, I'm passionate about my job. I'm this, I'm that. And it would never work. In fact, it made it worse from my experience. So I went through this whole journey of, of going to jobs that I were paying well. And, and I was, I was doing quote unquote well by, you know, you know, Western society's standards, but I was never quite happy. And then I got, you know, whether willingly by life or, you know, whatever it is that you believe in, I was given the, the gift or curse of not being able to sleep. You know, I had sleep onset insomnia, which is where you can't stay asleep throughout the night. And I couldn't function at work and I had to leave. I had to spend time reflecting and, and, and really figuring out what it is I want to do in my life, which has led to where I am right now, you know, very similar to, to what you were saying. Um, there's a lot in there, but I wanted to ask out of all the stuff that you said there, what, what came up for me was, do you think people get to choose their passions or do you think we, we end up in this world as, or, or from that decides that, or is it a bit of both? Oh, okay. So I will only speak. This is not me speaking as a clinical psychologist. This is me speaking as someone in her forties who's really lived three lifetimes, I think at this point, and I'm on my fourth, um, many, many, many things that I've done many, many cultural expectations that have been had of me that I couldn't, um, live up to, um, many jobs that I've tried, so I'm speaking from my personal experience. Sure. I believe, um, much like the Greeks and you know, much like the ancient, you know, wisdoms, which is that we are born with a inner genius and inner um, guide. Uh, you know, the Egyptians called it the Ba. The um, the Greeks called it the Diamond. And so for me, and the Romans called it the genius or either or flipped, but I think it's that. Um, and this for me is something that we are born with. This is eternal. This is not something um, that we can change. It is who we are. And if you put me in a village somewhere, I would be this person. And if you mm -hmm. put me in a city somewhere, I will be this person. How that plays out will be different. But being in a space where I am tending to people or caring for people or supporting people or leading people, this was this is who I am. I cannot change that. Now, if you go all the way back to the playgrounds, to when I was a teenager, to the high school, like you will see the thread of all of that in me and so there is something in us that mm. has its own thing intelligence it, mm. yeah it, it is an intelligence and of course that's connected to a source above but you cannot convince that thing and when you don't listen to it it will act it will you know make you agitated it might depress you and pull you under and it will say nope you don't get to engage with this anymore. Nope, you don't get to live like this anymore. So there is, it communicates through these very big feelings. It communicates through anxiety that this is not how you need to be living your life. You're out of balance. Boom, there's anxiety or depression where something in your life 
is taking life from you, but not giving you any life. Mm. So you need to change something about that. And you will never change if you kept functioning properly. Why would you change? If it works, it works. And if it doesn't work, that's when you sit back and say, you know what? I can't do this. So your psyche came. I choose to call that your a psyche. Your psyche came to you and said, nope, I'm not going to let you sleep. I'm really not going to let you sleep. You'll go spend all morning long on your affirmations, but all night long, you're going to be hanging out with me. So this is what the psyche does. And so then you're forced to listen and it will do all sorts of weird tricks and trades. It really is a a little spirit inside of you, like a little genie. Um, And so I don't think you can change it. You cannot change what makes you come to life. I don't believe so. There's things that give you life. And, and I would say, Luke, that there are people in your life that you resonate with because your frequency, your energetic vibrational frequency is right alongside with them. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be with you for the rest of your life. Now, that could be that your soul is vibrating at a certain frequency at that time. And in another stage of your life, your soul will vibrate at another frequency. So those people might fall away and others might stay on. Then there's some people who resonate with you differently, but you might not be resonating, but there's still something that keeps you together. There might be a little distance between the two of you, but you're still on the same path. And so this is what I think about uh, people, not Mm -hmm. just passions and how that sort of plays out in your life. So then how does someone who is in a job they hate or in a relationship that they're not enjoying anymore, how do they know that it's not for them? Is, is there a guiding principle that you follow with your clients to get through that? Is there own, your own principle? What would you do if you're in a job that you hate or a relationship you don't like? I know there's different reasons for it, but I mean, just for the reason that you know it's not for you, how do you find your passion? Well, you don't find your passion. It finds you. No, or it may not even find you because that might just mean that you just sit and you wait for it to show up, but mm-hmm. don't find your passion sitting in a room you find your passion by doing the hundred things that the hundred and one thing will be your passion i know who i am because i know also who i am not it it wasn't just because i found myself it doesn't work like that it's a chipping away it's a wondering it's a creating it's a deconstructing it's a constructing it's a learning it's an unlearning but it's a doing process you don't just sit there and wait for passion and purpose to show up in my experience in my opinion um and in my experience as a psychologist also like you can sit all day long it ain't gonna show up knocking on your door um you will you need to be alert you need to be engaged you need to try new things. You need to be curious. So that's what I think about, like, you know, looking for passion. But if you are in a job that you don't like, there are so many things that I would consider before I leave that job. So I'm not going to be, um, I'm not going to be fluffy and say, if it doesn't speak to your soul, leave. No, there's practicalities to life. You have a, you know, you have bills to pay, you have kids to feed, you have yourself to feed. And so if you don't like your job, I would really consider many things. And I'm now thinking from the top of my head what some of those things would be. But 
is it the job or is it how I am doing the job? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not the job. It's sometimes it's you staying up till two in the morning, watching Netflix and then not exercising and eating, you know, McDonald's for lunch, breakfast, dinner, whatever. Like it's, it's how you're living your life. That is the problem, not the job. It's super easy to project your lack of passion and lack of engagement onto a job, mm-hmm. but it actually could be you. It could be you and the way you live your life. Because if I took you to the most, you know, inspiring place on the planet, if your body is not healthy, if you cannot be engaged and be mindful, if you cannot savor the moment, if you put junk in your body and you don't exercise it and you don't love it and nurture it, you could be in the most inspiring place and not be inspired. So it's too easy to say, if your job does not speak to you, leave. No, figure out what the issue is. Really, if you don't know what the issue is, sit with a coach and sit with a therapist and say, is it my life? Or is it the way I live my life? Is it my job? Is it my relationship? Because sometimes it is. Sometimes there's so much toxicity in our personal relationships. And then we project it on because we don't want to be lonely. We don't want to be alone. But there's so much tension there that you can't enjoy anything. So really, it is about a deconstructing and problem solving type of session that you need to have before you leave that job. And if you get to the end of that problem solving session and you realize it's not for you, I would say, Start working on your CV, building a skill set, and then exposing yourself to many, many different things. Do internships, do certificate courses, but don't just think that it's all going to be easy all the time. I went through multiple dark nights while I was a psychologist. It was too easy for me to say, I don't want to, you know, care for anyone anymore. No one cares for me or I'm burnt out and I don't want to do this anymore. And I go off and I become a chef. Like I could have done that, but maybe you just need to not, maybe you just need to take care of yourself right now. Like maybe that's what is needed in this moment. So there are absolutely difficult periods in the most passionate jobs. And I always say the fires of passion actually burn more. And so I can burn out because I am passionate because I just want to work, 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 because I just love it. And so if you don't have balance, even in the most passionate jobs, you will burn out and you will be disengaged and cynical. It feels like you're talking to me when you say that like directly, because, um, there's a few things you said about the, the one thing again, that, that really stood out for me is what I'm, what I'm doing right now, like not just us having conversation, but you know, the stuff on my Instagram, the stuff on, on other platforms that I'm doing, you know, for me, I'd, I'd never been, uh, what's the word I'm looking for pulled towards something. I've always been pushing myself towards something for the first time in my life. You know, earlier this year, I got pushed, you know, I got, uh, sorry, I got pulled towards what I'm doing right now. And, you know, everything went to the side, you know, like, uh, all, all the things, all the worries, all the, the, the traumas or whatever you want to call them, they all went to the side because this, this amazing, incredible feeling of being pulled by something bigger than me, a mission outside of me, just lit a fire underneath me. And, but it came at a, a cost, which is I'd never had that before. 
So I didn't know how to manage it properly. So I would spend, you know, <laughs> I'd wake up and I would, I would try to meditate. And most times I would, and most times I would exercise and do all those things. But then as soon as I could, it was like into it. And it wasn't even like hustle and, and work hard because it's the right thing to do. It was like, no, I, I effing love this. I'm going to go for it. So I went for it. And, you know, that over three or four months, you know, it's like, everyone's like, you're doing great. I love the stuff. And I'm, I'm sharing this content. People are saying how much they resonate. It's helping. And I'm just like, exploding with love and joy and, and purpose and it's amazing but i i just I, I just worked you know i've had as a kid always you know always uh weirdly obsessed with things and i wouldn't put it down so the same thing happened with this i believe and and where i'm at right now as we're speaking at this very point about two weeks ago i went to the hospital for a really really bad migraine it's like like severely bad migraines where i couldn't even go outside so I was forced to rest. And I believe it was what you just said then, which is burnout. And um, there's, <laughs> there's so many different parts to, to choosing a passion and then also having a passion because not only if you've been in a passionate position, in a position of you know, stagnation, I guess you call it, when you get in that passionate phase, because it's so new to you, you just kind of go all in. Um, so I think that's super powerful. Would you say that the, the main thing for people with all these things you just said then would be awareness? Do you think awareness is the, the kind of the overarching thing or principle that you need to keep in mind when you're approaching all these things? Yeah, and cur yeah, curiosity, being curious. Don't just land on something so quickly because something doesn't feel good. Oh, I don't like Luke. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you know, I, because I'm feeling agitated right now, the, the fastest and quickest answer is it's Luke because I'm feeling agitated right now. So it must be Luke, but maybe did I have too much caffeine earlier? Was it something that was still reverberating inside of me from the meeting that I just had? Is it something I'm worried about because I have to go home and my house is being renovated? Well, it could be so many things. And I just, it's the easy, easy answer is to say, well, you know what? Luke just gave me bad vibes. And so I don't want to hang out with him. So it's, it's too easy. And most people are taking very easy answers. It's a very quick way. Oh, I know, I know. And there's a little bit of inflation that people just assume they know things. And sometimes you're wrong. And maybe you need to sit with it for a little while, wonder about it, challenge it, push it around, play with it a little bit, and then say, well, I've, I've considered it. So consideration curiosity, self-awareness, for sure. Because that's always my sticking point with, you know, having intuition. It's like you can't. Yeah. Well, you don't. That's the thing about intuition. Um, and I think, and there have been times where from the outside looking in, if someone told me, if she thinks she got intuition, then I don't want it because my life looked like it was in shambles. And it was like, whoop, well, that didn't work. Like mm -hmm. I if just, if I looked at my life in that moment, it didn't work, but I really felt like it was going to be the right thing. Now, again, I, I do not advise you to use your intuition until you've really done your work. Because what you think might be intuition might actually be cognitive distortions. It might be um, thinking. Um, confirmation bias. 
and confirmation biases, all sorts of things. Like there's so many traumas that might be acting out. I felt something that he was the right one for me, but it could be a trauma bond. There's, there's so many things. And then unless you've done some of that clearing out and healing, I would advise you to really just work, do the work before you decide to tap into your intuition and say, I'm going to go with this. And and people will still do whatever they want to do. But for me, I know I always had, there's a, there's a spirit and the spirit speaks and it's guided me throughout my life. And if I look back at my life, it was always there. And there was just like, nope. And I have a very stubborn spirit. It's just not gonna happen. Like you cannot make me do chemistry. I just won't do it. And so I might be seen as defiant. I might be seen as oppositional. I might be seen as lots of things, but it just won't do it. I'm trying to make it do it, but it's just not. So some people have a, you know, they call it, it's a very spirited child, or they just have a very, you know, they're very stubborn. This kind of child, they, they have a spirit that speaks. Spirit and, and their intuition or their spirit is just loud. Mm -hmm. And so... You can't, you know, that's one type of person. But for the most of us, I would say we need to really do our work and then we need to take a chance. And this, the, the way intuition works is that at some point you're going to have to take a chance and take a risk and, and say, okay, well, I felt it. This is how it feels in my body. And, and there's so many different types of clairvoyance that you can have or, or, um, or sort of abilities, you know, some people hear things, some people see things, some people just know, and it's just like a knowing and it just shows up in front of them. It is, it is not a psychic thing that I'm talking about. It really is intuition in all its ways. And for, for those people, I would say, um, yeah, it might look wrong. It might feel bad, but if that's where it's taking you, go with it. Because I can tell you, Luke, that I've made some decisions in my life where people were like, girl, that did not look right. And I'm not sure about your intuition. But if I look back, all of it made sense. Mm -hmm. Like it makes sense. Every wrong turn, every right turn, every left turn, every, every turn that I took, I did it with that, the one that I did with that voice and that sense it led me here and I learned something from it that I know I'm going to need in the future. So even the bad things, according to the world's books, actually were right. They were just right for me. And I think if you are gonna be playing around with your intuition, you've got to have that stance that it was right. It just didn't look right and it didn't feel right. Like feel good, um, but it taught me and it made me so just to challenge that quickly i you know i felt i think that where we are in our lives right now i think where it also is as well is being able to see the situations you're going through in an optimistic way you know you could say where you are right now isn't you're there because you know all the wrong turns you took and everything that you went through um if you look back at it you see it as positive because of where you are in your life right now so it's like mm -hmm. reverse rationalizing in a way. Yeah. So I would say that not just the wrong turns that are, you know, that get you to where you are, which makes it positive, 
but rather seeing what you're in as positive at the moment. Does that make sense? Yes, it sure does. And I think that is a stance you need to take in life. Mm. If you are going to be engaging with your spirit and your intuition, it's just a stance that you need to have, a mindset that you need to have that I don't know why this is happening, but I know this is for me. I know it feels really bad right now, but I know it's fortifying something in me. It's shutting something in me. I lost this person and he or she betrayed me. This is for me. And I'm supposed to learn something from this. And that's the stance I've always taken. And it's a very empowered stance rather than a victim stance that, oh my God, why is this happening to me? Why do all the bad things ever happen to me? Because Luke, I got a story and a half when it comes to the things that have gone wrong in my life and the things that I have had to contend with as, you know, as a, as a person, as a woman, as a woman from Pakistan. And, you know, there's many, many things that I've had to contend with. Um, But each one of those things, I moved through it as if it was happening for me. And I'm just going to go with this and it's hurting me. And I'm in, you know, I'm depressed. I have been clinically depressed. Mm -hmm. I have experienced panic. I have experienced anxiety. I've experienced loss and betrayal at the, at the, at the hands of the most dear, dear people in my life. And I still took that stance that I know something's got me and I know that this is going to happen. Something is happening for, there's a reason and I'm going to just learn what I can. And the reason, and and I'm not even trying to be cheesy here by saying, well, everything happens for a reason. I sit there and I figure out the reason. It's not enough for me to say it's enough. There's a reason. Okay. What is the reason? Tell me the reason. So what did I learn about myself? What did I learn about life and about people and how is my spirit stronger as a result of this? Because I didn't, the struggle length to strength, uh, led to strength, not just pain. There's strength that comes after pain. So it is a way, it is a mindset, it is a way of being in life. Um, if you are to engage with your spirit, not just uh, I'm sitting here today, you might think I look fine, but I, my whole life could be falling apart, right? You don't know that. Mm. Um, And so I don't just sit here saying this, oh, because my life seems to be successful. I'm saying this because in good times and bad, I have taken that stance that it's happening for me. Yeah, that's beautiful. There's um, no way to put it other than what you just said then. And also life happens for you, not to you. As a kid, when I was, uh, I think it was when I was four years old, my mom told me, I was uh, diagnosed with ODD. Have you heard of ODD before? Yes, I have. Oppositional defiance disorder and ADHD at the same time. And, you know, mom would say to me, you need to do this, you need to do that, whatever. I'm like, no, not doing it. So it would be exactly the same, just very strong spirited, like this is my way or the highway kind of thing. And, you know, I think that, and this is kind of segue into kids and, and parenting and stuff. I think, parents sometimes and i'm not a parent so i I can't you know i haven't been through it but i would would like to talk about and understand i feel like what we do to children sometimes is we read some advice or read some way that we need to raise kids and we think it applies to every child from what i've seen from my own observations is that everyone's different every child has different levels of neuroticism different levels of agreeableness and etc etc but we tend to just pigeonhole I mean, this is just me speaking what I've seen. It could be different for everyone. 
where we tend to pigeonhole how kids need to be. For sure, for sure. I think, I mean, parenting is my deep expertise. I did my dissertation in parenting. I have four children, three of them are teenagers. Um, and one of them is a six-year-old, but she might as well be a teenager. Um, <laughs> she's around the other three and she just has a, a strong spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think parenting has, um, parenting done without the child in mind and in heart, um, parenting without considerate, considering the child is not going to work. It's not going to work. And I have four kids and each child requires a different mother. One, my eldest one, she was like my parent. She was, you know, doing her own homework at four years old and just really grounded and steady and focused and calm and just, you know, this rainbow child. Um, Then I have a second, you know, son who is super, super competitive and super athletic. And then I have a third one who's just like me, hot in the head, super, you know, engaged with life, but then gets in trouble at school. And, you know, teachers are always like, hey, you know, this one, you know, (laughs) so like that kind of kid. And then I have the fourth one who's just a mix of everything. Each one requires me to engage with them differently. Each one requires me to be a different kind of parent. And I think if you have managed people before, then you might make a really good parent because you can't just be a manager. If you truly are a people manager or a people leader, then you lead people in in the way that speaks to their spirit and inspires them and not just tells them. Um, and, and so that's one thing I would say about parents is that each child will require a different parent in you and a different skill set in you and a different way of being in you. So you just need to be ready for that. If you just come at parenting in the way, this is who I am and they're just gonna have to deal with it, not gonna work. And you will have an ODD child because they're just defiant because you're not listening perhaps, or you're not paying attention to what they might need or how they might need it. Um, My second child has a hard time with transitions. He really settles into something. And then if I say, okay, come on, you gotta go. He's gonna have a violent reaction to that. I picked up on this guy needs a little bit more time to transition. So I start telling him 30 minutes before. The other guy, come on guys, let's go. But Mm -hmm. this kid needs 30 minutes. This kid needs three seconds because he's ready to go on go, you know? So it's just who who is defiant here? Who is being, you know? So it's really about considering the child, in my opinion, Um, and in my experience, I should say. And I have worked with children with ODD. And I swear to you, if you talk to them as if you're talking to a 40-year-old, you will not have any ODD that you need to give them the respect of a 40 year old. And it's worked like magic. And I've had, I mean, I would say in my experience, cause my whole, my first half of my career was mostly with children that I worked with. Um, and every single time I had someone with ADHD or ODD, 
I spoke to them as if I was speaking to a 40 year old. I did not tell them what to do. I asked them what should be done. I asked them what I should do in a session. How would they like to go about this? I was super real with them because they can cut through the BS and all of these, you know, therapy ways of doing things. No, they won't. They don't want it. Talk to me like a real person. And I promise you, you will get someone real. That's, and, and I have like a hundred percent success rate with that population. I just know how to engage with them. Cause I was a bit like that, but I know my heart is super good, but I just don't, I just, you know, and, and someone, I don't know who said this, but to be adapted to a sick society is no definition of like normal in my opinion. And so some of these, some of these kids that are opposing some things like don't disrespect me, talk to me with respect. And now, oh, the teacher calls them defiant. But if you speak to them with love and care and consideration and respect that they demand and command, they will not have defiance. And I'm just speaking about, you know, I obviously there will be some people that will be like, no, there are some kids that are antisocial and really, you know, neurologically not well. Okay, I'm not talking about that crew. I'm talking about like, the, the majority of kids. Of course, there will be people in the, in the tipping points on, on the edges that are outside of the realm of what I'm speaking about. I'm just speaking about, yeah, I'm just speaking about the, the run of the mill ODD, ADD. Wow. That's powerful. I think a lot of kids these days are getting those labels because it's a lot more convenient to label than it is to work through something. It might take an extra bit of effort that people or I don't know, whoever it is that's dealing with them to invest in it. And that's what people need. You know, time is the highest value and time with the right uh, intention, I think is the highest value. And I was reading this book here, just finished this one recently. It's called The Shallows, right? How the internet is changing the way we think, read and remember. Yeah. You read this book before? Yes, a long time ago. Wow. Yeah, I, this must be the second edition because I don't have that cover. It has like a- them in Australia. Is this um is this the second edition or is this the first? Uh, I th- I think it's probably beyond that. I think it's even the third or fourth. There's a different um chapter in it. So yeah yeah. But this I is haven't a- read that version. But I read the very first one like a decade or some ago. Wow. Ago. So I, I was going through this and just some of the stuff I read in here about I got highlights through and everything. Some of the stuff I read here, it's like how are we supposed to be focused we should we i mean a lot of us have i mean and this is an iffy one because i know people that really do have clinical adhd it's you know it's almost a disservice saying it to them but you know yeah more of in kids these days and, and how do you address it no 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 not just in kids Everyone. i'm seeing it in everyone. Wow. Adults are coming in. I think I have adult ADHD. It's like, if you did fine all through high school and primary school and middle school, then you don't have ADHD. Now you just have TikTok and Instagram. And that literally is shortening our capacity to turtles. Like, you know, I mean, turtles have really long focus abilities, but like really, really tiny, tiny bursts of attention. And then the mind shifts and then the mind shifts. And I think in that book, he talked about in the old days, we used to have this 
way of relating to content as if a scuba diver, where you go in and you go deep and you go slow and you see things and you engage with things. And now we are going, uh, engaging with content as if we're on a jet, jet ski, super fast, only on the surface, just you know, on top, touching the water here and there, but really not engaging and thinking critically. And, and that was 10 years ago. Now throw yep. in social media and throw in um, these, you know, these, um, these videos that are becoming shorter and shorter and shorter in length. The, the Twitter's feeds, that, that, that's, all, that's all the news I can read, but what about the rest of it? What about reading the whole article? What about reading the whole story? Nope, just give me the top line, give me the top line. And we wanna move at that. And so there's a lot of knowledge. There is very little wisdom mm -hmm. and there's very little integration. There is very little critical thinking. There is a lot of hyperactivity. There is very little focus. So if you can focus, you will be a superpower. You will be because only those that can engage with content and information and anything, a project deeply will actually be able to do something in this world. That is so, so powerful. And that's what Daniel Goldman says in his book, Focus. He says a lot about people who are able to just, they will be the, you know, the cream of the crop, if you will, in the future. And I 100% agree with that. And, you know, and I, so I'm 27, right? And I got my first phone when I was, I don't know, maybe 12, 12, 13. It was a Nokia phone playing Snake on there and, you know, TV and whatever. And anyways, the point I'm getting to is that all through my development phase of, of my adolescence was technology, right? And we didn't really know the effects. I mean, the, the lay person didn't know the effects back then. So, you know, growing up, I had like two, two very, very scattered thinking, you know, and then bouncing around all the time, which by the way, there's always a, a negative and a positive. The positive that I see is that we can find information much quicker. If that's a positive, we have better visual representation of seeing small things quicker, little things like that, which he mentioned in this book, but what it led to, and which is to be honest with you, what I'm struggling at the moment, um, less so than I was before is being focused. I mean, you know, having this conversation right now, I'm, I'm sitting with you and I'm very, I'm listening very deep to what you're saying, taking it all in, paying attention. When I'm reading, I'm doing the same thing. But, you know, when I'm in my downtime, which, you know, is a couple hours every day or whatever it is on that day, you know, I'm scattering around. It's just my default mode. It's like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, da 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 And people think that it just pertains to your phone, right? It just pertains to that. And then I'm all good, but no, 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 no when I start to communicate socially and, and, you know, do these different things, you start to see your brain doing it, your brain jumping around, like what's most stimulating. Da, 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 da. And I can only imagine that having that kind of thing growing up probably leads to more drug use. Cause what's the most stimulating more drugs and ultimately leads to, to just depression and anxiety. He says in this end of this book, I don't know if you remember um, that the end result of all this stuff, one of the end results is misinformation. How much misinformation is out there? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't think critically, this is, and now misinformation is being spread at rapid fire speed, you know? So um, it's really, 
it really is. It, it, it will require all of us to actually step back and, and think about what is it that we're doing and how is it that we're doing it? Because this is not a childhood issue anymore. This is all of us. And whatever you exercise will get stronger. Whatever you strengthen will get stronger. And if you strengthen your inactive, um, inattention and hyperactivity, of course, the other parts of you are going to get weaker. So mindfulness is no longer something you do at a retreat, you know, twice a year. You have to do it every day because that is literally brain gym. You're literally bringing your brain and people are like, oh, I don't know how to meditate. Okay. If you know how to breathe, you know how to meditate, focus on your breath. And then your mind goes this way. And then your mind goes this way. And then you come back and then you come back. And it literally, by the end of my mindfulness meditation session, I'm like sweating because it's like, it was so hyperactive in my head that it was like, oh my God, how do I get all of these thoughts to just focus? And then like literally seconds, not even milliseconds before my mind has wandered again. But to those people, I say that in the beginning, it is so violent to sort of enter into the realm of your thoughts and focus on your breath. It feels violent to me, someone who is extremely hyperactive and would have been diagnosed with ADHD. And I probably clinically speaking, do have a hyperactivity. And I used, they used to call me Jack in the box in my class. My teachers used to call me, but they didn't have the diagnosis of ADHD when I was younger, but sitting down, actually focusing on my breath actually feels nauseating to me. I feel like I'm going to throw up because there's so much energy inside. And now I'm holding all of that energy in and it makes me like, there's so much pressure. I feel um, nausea that I feel it. And I tell people, imagine there is 200 stallions running across a field and now rein them all in and sit like, that's how it feels to me. It's a physical sensation that I sense. But the more you do it, the more you do it, the better you get, the better you get, just like everything else in life. The first many, many times will be really hard. And then it gets easier. And then I first started doing standing meditations. There's a lot of traditions that have standing meditations. I was like, I'm going to try that because sitting is hard for me. And then I did walking meditations. And then I did all sorts of meditations. Finally, I got myself to sit where I said I can do this. Laying meditation, sitting meditation. So it is a muscle in your brain, literally a neural pathway that gets stronger when you do it. Um, and, and if you just do it once or twice or a week or 10 days or a month, it doesn't work. It's a lifelong muscle building, exercise, meditation. Daily routine. Yes. yes. Is that what you think the world needs? For sure. That's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> the world needs a whole lot more of that and a whole lot less of everything else that it has. You know, I love social media, really. I, I, I came on to social media just two years ago. I was very late to the party because I was resisting it, I was uh, against it. Um, you know, my kids don't have social media. I won't let them have it until they're old enough to know who they are a little bit more. Um, um, and that probably will be around 18 or so. But I, I believe it has a lot of power to do good as well. Um, I just think that if people don't find their balance, they will lose their way. 
And most of us don't have balance. We don't have a balancing way of being with life, with anything really. We are on a dopamine feedback loop. We're addicted to dopamine and we've lost our way. Yeah, you're 100% right. I, what I'm practicing at the moment is having my phone away two hours before bed, right? And for me, I go to bed really late. Well, I used to at least around two in the morning. And I thought it was because I was, um, uh, you know, when I stopped working, I just naturally went to bed that time. I thought, oh, I'm just a night person. Um, you know, and I, and I always had this contradiction, th- contradicting thought in my head. It's like, you're not a night person. You're just using your phone and you're laying with that light in your face. And so I, you know, I had these migraines really bad and it was I'm like, I need to change something. I need to try something. I'm not a person that would just sit by the side and be like, oh, well, it just is what it is. Let's take some medication and be on with it. I'm like, I'm going to figure out what this is because it's a message, right? So I decided to get more in the circadian rhythm. And what that meant to me was going to bed probably about 10, 11 o'clock. So I'm like, okay, I'll try to have my phone away. So I <laughs> got my phone, took it downstairs, put it on charge and like, like, almost sadly, like going away from my phone, like, no, and went upstairs to the first 15, 20 minutes. I literally, I'm not, I'm not proud to say this. I'm just saying, it cause it's completely the truth. Just an emptiness in my body. I'm like, ah, oh, like I just felt, you know, like addicted, I'm addicted to it. Right. And this, and this, I'm not, I'm not the one that's strange. This is normal. If someone says they're not addicted to it, it's like, that's weird. Anyway. So I, I would go to, go to bed and start reading. And after about 15 to 30 minutes, I'll start getting tired. And I'd like that fall asleep, right? Unless I'm anxious about something or, you know, next day something big is going on, I can fall asleep like that. And I'm just like, okay, so technology and Instagram, Facebook, all these different platforms, even just reading on your phone, anything to do with this this thing, it shouldn't even be right here, here right now, to be honest. Anything to do with this should not be, should not be with me all the time. It's a tool and I need to use it. It shouldn't use me. So yeah, I think that's a great rule. Um, again, it's hard at first, but it does get easier. And I think reading a book is one of the best things you can do before you go to bed, as long as the book is light and not like, you know, scary. And we do have to remember that social media companies, they're not really there to make us connected and all of these other things they're there for their bottom line and their bottom line depends on an attention economy uh-huh. and that attention economy is how many eyeballs can i get for how long can i get them and we have to just remember that that this is not for us this actually is taking advantage of us and that we have to come at it with that kind of disposition that okay, I have to protect myself here, that I, I have to use this, not let them use me, because they are using you, because they sell your attention to someone. So that's using you. And if we remember that, maybe we might come at it a little bit differently. Especially if yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there are times I remember when I first got on, um, I, when I first got on, I actually had to get off for a month because I was like, oh, what is this? Um, and I had my social media manager actually manage all of the account and just send me the comments. And I would write her on WhatsApp, 
the response to those comments. And then she would plug them in for a month, wow. two Octobers ago. Because I remember thinking, well, this is nuts. When I first came on and when I was first building my profile, it was like, did it get liked? Did it get, you know, all these insecurities we have, they play on all of them. And should I do this? And maybe if they like it, or maybe if they comment on it, or why did they say something so mean? Oh my God, all of my headspace was gone to it. Uh-uh, I got other things to do. So I was like, I cannot live like this. And so that's when she engaged with it. And I found my center. I found the method and then I went back in. So you got to watch yourself because you really can lose your way. I'm scared. I really am scared because all of this stuff going on, I personally think it's part of a bigger problem. You know, Google, Facebook, Instagram, all these companies and just where we're at in the world right now and how much power they're gaining. It's scary. It It really is scary. And it's just like... if I have kids, like I got to think about what their future will be like. And do I want kids to be in that kind of world? You know, just last week, I'm not sure if you saw Elon Musk release this Tesla bot, he called it. Did you say that? Yeah. So it's a, a robot that will be in your house and to help you with menial tasks that you don't want to do, um, which is being coming out or, or first going to production next year, um, which, and it looks like the, the robot from um, what's that movie called? iRobot um, with Will Smith. It looks exactly like that. And I started seeing videos and just, to be honest, I'm, I'm freaked out with the future. It's scary. We'll be fine. We'll be fine as long as we don't lose connection with ourselves. The world has seen many things before us and they will continue to see many things after. It's just that. There is something that is eternal and timeless inside of us. If we stay in contact with that thing, we'll be okay. If we don't know how to contact that thing and we don't know how to stay connected to that part of us, that's when we lose our way. Wow. Do you believe that everyone should be seeing a psychologist or having a coach or something of that sort? I I mean, it's a luxury. I do. I'm I'm not going to, I, if you can afford it, I think it's a great thing to do. Um, I, I, I have a therapist. All of my kids have a therapist. My husband has a therapist. I just think that it's a, it's a time and a space that you commit to your inner life and to your psyche and you spend time with yourself and you reflect on things. If you can create that discipline to do that on your own, it would be good, but you will always miss something. When I say, I mean, I'm a pre-seasoned therapist, but when I sit with my therapist, she sees things I cannot see because they're our mirror. And I, of course I can get ready without a mirror, but on a mirror, I'm going to probably get a little bit more right. Right. So there's something that a mirror sees that I cannot. And so she quicker as well. Yeah. And it gets you there quicker. You get done faster, like on some of these things. So for me, I'm on this journey and I'm on a mission to self-actualize and to moving towards wholeness and integration. This is my life goal and, and, and my life purpose. And obviously to share that with the world. Um, and, and for me, uh, a therapist is essential. It is not a nice to have. I will let go of other things. I might not take that vacation, but this to me is the most important thing. Um, and I have done that. There were times when I didn't have money to do other things, but I committed to this process. Um, I'm committed to this process. Beautiful. 
that's awesome. What is um that you would like to leave behind whether it's in this we're talking about now or or to the world i think i said it a little bit earlier which Mm -hmm. is that there is we have to remember who we are Mm -hmm. remember who you are and you are not just a mind i think we've come into a world where we prize the mind we value the mind it's all about productivity but there's something eternal and timeless inside of all of us that we have access to. There is a wisdom and the world is going to convince you that it doesn't matter and it doesn't exist and the mind and feed the mind and learn. And of course that's important, but you've got to find a way to this inner place inside of you, which is your home, your truth, your center, your guide. It is something that we all have access to. We just got to clear up the channels inside of us to be able to access that. And stillness, solitude, um, you know, curiosity, all of that is going to be very important as you sit with that part. Silence, the world is noisy, the world is distracting. All of these things are actually the antithesis of what is inside of you, which is quiet and still and grounded, um, access that part, strengthen that relationship between you and that part. One of the things I believe that lead to enlightenment is contemplation and reflection. And I don't think you can have that unless you have the space to do it and to walk out in nature by yourself, to, to meditate, to do all those things, which is in my eyes, like you said before, doing the work. Yes. It's awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, yeah. Uh, like, no worries. And sorry, one last thing. Where can people find you? On Where's Instagram is probably the best way. Okay. I'll put in the show notes as well. Great. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Oh, oh, oh.